You're listening to True Vine Church Community Podcast. We hope this message sparks and sustains revival with your relationship with Jesus. For more information about True Vine, visit truevinephiladelphia.com. I would like to just provide 90 seconds of background into why we're starting this sermon series. Then I'm going to ask Shay if he'll pray for us, and then I'm going to jump into this sermon. Two weeks ago, we started a sermon series for this year called The Story of the Bible, And so far, we've looked at what is the Bible, last week, creation, this week, the image of God. We're eventually, in the near future, going to get to stories like Noah's Ark and the Tower of Babel and, you know, things like that. And I imagine that it's possible that some of you may be thinking, this is some pretty elementary stuff, isn't it? I mean, you know, look how old I am, and Noah's Ark is a children's story, and, you know, this is, this is some pretty simple stuff, and you know what? You're right. This is some pretty fo- foundational is the word I like. This is some pretty foundational elementary stuff. So why are we going to take a year on foundational principles? This is why. A few years ago, a man named George Barna surveyed Christians in America And in this survey, he found that 25% of people that identified as Christians in America, 25% did not believe that the Bible is true. Now, I thought if you're a Christian, believing the Bible is true was pretty elementary. But I guess it's not. He also found in the same survey, 40% of people that claim to be Christians believe that Jesus sinned during his life. Now, the belief that Jesus did not sin is absolutely necessary to Christianity, that Hebrews said he was tempted in every way just as we are, yet is without sin. I don't know how he's the spotless lamb if he's got spots. So, uh, evidently, we miss that elementary principle. It gets worse. 60%, 60%, so now we're at the majority, 60% of people that call themselves Christians do not believe that Satan or the Holy Spirit are real, but are just metaphors in the Bible. So, all of those are examples of elementary, foundational, basic principles that somehow the church in the United States has missed. And let me set the statistics aside. Somehow, there are still churches that are racist. I thought that this should be basic stuff, that we should not have a superiority, inferiority approach to ethnicity and race and gender. Somehow, there are still denominations that split like it's their job over basic teachings of the Bible. Um... Somehow, sexual immorality still exists and runs rampant in the church. So these are things that, if we really had our basics down, wouldn't be an issue. But after all these thousands of years, they still exist. So maybe we do need to revisit some of these elementary principles. Paul uses a metaphor in the New Testament. He says that you will move from milk to meat. You'll start with the the simple, the milk, but you'll eventually go to meat. Let me tell you something. You will go from milk to meat, but you will never outgrow milk. 
You know, any sports team that loses sight of the fundamentals loses. I mean, you might have, you want, do you want a doctor that forgets your blood type? Do, do you want someone who appears to be advanced and far along, but like forgets the basics? How far can you get in education if you, if you struggle to read? There are certain foundational elementary principles that just need to be established and from time to time revisited so that we can build. Does that make sense? So that's why we're doing this. And by the way, if you think Noah's Ark is a kid's story, oh my goodness, just wait. Just wait until, I don't know what kind of stories you tell your kids, but wiping out all humanity seems like PG-13 at least. I would not call that G. Okay, now that I've said that, Shay, would you mind praying for us? And then we're going to jump into Genesis 1. Okay, so I don't know if you heard him pray this phrase. Our purpose is to look more like you every day. That's, I could... Amen and close up right now, actually, because that's where we're going today. I don't, did you see my notes or something? Did someone tell you about this? Okay. All right. We didn't stream the 9 o'clock? Okay. A few years ago, I had an opportunity to preach at a retreat for Penn State University students, and this was in the middle of the woods in central Pennsylvania, which is kind of all of central Pennsylvania is the middle of the woods. And this was at a retreat center. It was one of those places where there is no cell phone reception. So um, we get to this retreat center, and uh, the host for the retreat greets us, and she said something to this effect. Sometimes it's good to just get away from people and be surrounded by God's creation. And I knew exactly what she meant when she said that. Sometimes it's good to just get away from the hustle and the bustle and the, the routine of your life and be surrounded by nature and meet with God in that place. And she was probably thinking of Romans chapter 1 that says that since the creation of the world... His invisible attributes, that is, his eternal power and divine nature, have been clear, clearly perceived, being understood by what has been made so that they are without excuse. So Romans 1 says this, that just by observing the created world, mountains, the ocean, sunrises, sunsets, just by observing the created world, you can learn about God's attributes, characteristics. You can learn about the creator by observing creation. I think that's probably what she was getting at. But being the annoying person that I was, I just chimed in, you don't have to leave people to be around God's creation because human beings are the pinnacle of God's creation. See, I'm around God's creation right now, right? I don't have to leave cities and populated areas and my family and my church and my job to go meet with God so they can speak to me through like a rock or something. You know, as much as I can stare at a sunset and learn about God's goodness, I think I can learn more by staring into your eyes. And thank you, Debbie. <laughs> That's original. I did not steal that. Just like I could listen to, you're going to love this, Debbie. I could listen to the chirping of the songbird. I, guys. I can hear more about what God is like by listening to your stories. So I'm not taking away from creation and nature. I'm not taking away from that. I'm just saying you are made in God's image 
more so than a rock or a tree or an animal, okay? We are God's creation. We are the pinnacle of God's creation. And so uh, that's the starting point for what I want to establish today is that all of us are created in God's image. And if you think you can learn about God from a sunset, imagine what you can learn about God from your neighbor. And if I, I bet that if I sat and listened to your stories and sat and listened to your experiences, I would hear, especially those of you that have been following Jesus and have a biblical worldview, I would hear some really encouraging things. I would learn about God's faithfulness and God's power and God's goodness. But I also bet that every now and then, sprinkled in there, there would be a little dysfunction. Yeah, some more than others. I bet every now and then I would hear either a bad decision you made, or I'll call that sin, or maybe something that someone did to you. So you're not the sinner, but you are the victim of someone else's sin. And what I would, so what I would conclude from that is we are made in God's image, but sin seems to stain that image. It seems to deface or mar that image of God that we are created in. And that's what I want to talk about today is the fact that we are made in God's image, but that sin defaces that image, though it does not remove it, and that it is through Jesus that that image is restored because Jesus is the image of God. So as we become more like Jesus, we are returning to the image of God that we are created to be. So I want to read from Genesis chapter 1. Verses 26 and 27, that's right, I'm still on page one of my Bible. It's January 22nd. This is going to take a while. If There's 1,189 chapters in the Bible. If I preached one chapter every week, it would take me 23 years. But the average church attender in America only goes to church a third of the time, so then it would take me... 72 years, but the average person has to hear something seven times before they remember it, so I would have to preach nonstop for 480 years for you to understand the whole Bible. So what I did just did is let myself off the hook. This is your responsibility, not mine, okay? There is no way that I'm going to teach you the whole Bible. I'm going to give you prompts, and you do the rest on your own. Well, I'm glad you agree. Genesis 1, 26 through 27. I did all that math this weekend just so I could drop that on you. (laughs) Then God said, let us make mankind in our image according to our likeness and let them rule over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the sky and over the livestock and over all the earth and over every crawling thing that crawls on the earth. So God created man or mankind in his own image In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. So this passage is the basis or the foundation for the belief that human beings are made in the image of God. We are not naked apes. We did not evolve from a single-celled organism. We are created in the image of God when he breathed into dust and made Adam and later made Eve from Adam's rib. This is why so many Christians feel strongly about issues of gender and race and equality. This passage is the foundation for much of that. Sin distorts the image of God, but it does not remove it. 
Adam and Eve were made in God's image. You and I are made in God's image. Sin has distorted that or defaced that or stained it, but it has not removed that, that image. I want to explain to you why I chose to add the phrase has not removed to that sentence. About a year and a half ago, I was at a denominational meeting, and we were, we're just kind of tweaking our doctrinal statement, and we're just spending, you know, six to eight years arguing over little phrases. And one of the phrases that we were discussing was, should we say that sin removes the image of God from humanity? And a very wise younger pastor stood up and said, if we say that sin removes God's image, that is going to give some bad people a basis to say that some people are not image bearers. And it's going to create a hierarchy, and oppressive people are going to use that to subjugate other people. So we can say that it distorts it, we can say that it stains it, but we better not say it removes it because that is going to go bad. And he was, everyone heard him. Thank goodness he said that. Everyone heard him. Right, because that's, that is what people will use to stomp on other people. Well, I'm an image bearer, but your sin has removed God's image from you. People will distort that even and use that as a way to subjugate and oppress other people. So uh, we don't want to say that sin removes the image of God. We're saying that it distorts it. We're saying that it damages it. I want to show you some pictures uh, that hopefully will illustrate this. Just keep in mind these are illustrations, and I will explain what they're illustrating in a moment. But these are pictures of statues or drawings that missed the mark. Okay, so James, you ready for me? Give me the first one. Okay. This is a soccer player named Cristiano Ronaldo. He's the one on the right. On the left is a statue that was made of him, and it's kind of, it's kind of famous as like a really bad statue. I don't know. What do you, you guys think it's accurate? or It's a little off, right? Okay, so we're going to say that... So, I'm sorry if it was one of you that designed it, but this person missed the mark. Okay, they 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 tried, and there's there's two eyes and a nose and a mouth, but just kind of doesn't look like him. All right, James, give me the next one. Okay, this is uh, Lucille Ball, and on the right is her statue. That's in her hometown. Well, I can tell by the laughter we all agree that that one also missed the mark, right? Okay. Give me the next one. I love this one. <laughs> this is a police sketch. Actually, though, the eyewitness of this crime did not trust the police sketch artist and said, I'll draw it myself. And this is what they produced. So we would also say that this person missed the mark, right? Okay. There's one more. Okay, now I showed you this about a year ago. I love this story because this was a painting of Jesus in a church in Spain. And a couple years ago, there was this nice, sweet little woman. She's about 80 years old. Her responsibility was to clean the church, and she noticed that the painting of Jesus had some loose spots. She decided to scrape all the loose paint off, and that's what caused the middle picture. This picture on the left originally is called Ecce Homo, which means behold the man. I mean, like, behold the man, Jesus. 
Well, she scraped all the loose paint off with the priest's permission, and then it created that middle picture, and she said, "Uh (laughs) uh-oh, I need to fix this. And that one on the far right was her attempt to repaint this. Now, in her defense, she was not able to finish it before she went on vacation. And she was like, I know it's not done, but it never got finished. Ironically, they've made thousands of dollars selling tickets to the church to go see this picture, and they use the proceeds from those tickets to feed the hungry in their town. So I was thinking about getting some bad paintings around here to raise some money. (laughs) So um, these are all illustrations that miss the mark. Now, the Hebrew word for image, we are made in God's image, the Hebrew word for image is the same as the word for statue. That's not to say that you and I are statues of God, but it is to say that they would think along those lines, that you and I are statues, but because of sin, we have missed the mark. It, we're, we're, it's, it's a little off. There's a deviation. Sin, everywhere where the statue is not like the original, every little deviation where the, the nose is too big or the eyes are too close together or the height is wrong, every deviation is a missing of the mark. And some of you might know that the word sin in Greek can mean miss the mark. So sin, the presence of sin in the world causes deviations between the image of God and us. Now, I want to be clear. I am not talking about physical attributes. I'm talking about spiritually and morally. I'm not talking about skin tone, height, weight, anything like that. I'm talking about morally and spiritually. When our spirit has deviated from God's spirit, the image of God is damaged in that process. Does that make sense? So what you would want, if you're going to restore that, you would want to look at the original, right? No one understood? Okay. You would want to look at the original to restore or to correct that. It's almost like we need a second Adam. Jesus is the second Adam. We need... None of us were here in the Garden of Eden. I checked. But we need a second Adam so that we can look at, okay, I need to know, what does a human being who is not damaged by sin look like? That's Jesus. What is a human being who has never sinned? What is a human being who has no rebellion, a human being that has no selfishness? What would that person look like? And that's what Jesus is, the second Adam. So I want to read from 1 Corinthians chapter 15. It's going to kind of just establish that idea for us. This, is, this will not be on the screen, so you're going to have to either listen to me or follow along in your own Bibles. 1 Corinthians chapter 15, I'm going to read verses 45, 47, and 49. So also it is written, The first man, Adam, became a living person. The last Adam was a life-giving spirit. The first man is from the earth, earthy. The second man is from heaven. Just as we have borne the image of the earthy, we will also bear the image of the heavenly. So Adam is the first man. He's earthy, not earthly, earthy. I kind of like that better, actually. 
He's earthy. The second Adam, Jesus, is heavenly. So if we want to know, like, so what would the image of God look like if there wasn't sin? Jesus shows us that. So as Christians, here's what's happening with us. We are being restored to the image of God by becoming more like Jesus. When we become more like Jesus, everything we lost when Adam and Eve sinned, we're regaining as we become more like Jesus. Does that make sense? It's like there was a statue that was a perfect image of God. It was defaced. Now we're going to repair it. That reparation process is essentially what Shea prayed about as we were being made more and more like Jesus on a daily basis. So I want to uh, address a couple things real quick. This is why our, our inability to make accurate representations of other humans, let alone God, is why the second commandment says, don't make any graven images. You can't even, I want to paraphrase, this is a Jim Rudd paraphrase, you guys can't even make good statues of people. Don't even try to make them of me. I mean, think, just think about this. What's the first idol they made of God? A golden a cow, guys. Like, come on. We're trying to come up with a statue that represents Yahweh, and we did a cow? Are you serious? So that's... Part of why idols and graven images are an issue because they will never represent God accurately. Make a statue that represents all presence. Make a statue that represents omnipotence, all powerful. Make a statue that represents God's perfect goodness. You can't. So, so don't even try. Because you're going to hand that off to the next generation and then they're going to have a smaller view of God, a limited view of God. Does that, does that make sense? The Bible Project says it this way. People aren't to make images of God because God has already made images of himself. That's us. We are the image of God. Genesis 9 says that when a person commits murder, they are killing an image bearer of God. So it's not only a sin against the victim, it's a sin against God. James chapter 3, verse 9, says that when we speak poorly of other people, we are speaking poorly of those who are made in the image of God. And how can we, out of one side of our mouth, praise God, but out of the other side, slander those that are made in his image? James says that's like fresh water and salt water coming from the same tap. It's hypocritical. It, it shouldn't be. It shouldn't be, right? So that's something that we want to keep in mind that, listen, you're made in the image of God. Congratulations. Congratulations. So is everyone you hate. So is every annoying person that you work with. They're all made in the image of God. So before you think everyone should bow down to you, remember, you are not unique in that way. You're, you're, the person that cuts you on tra off in traffic, the person that doesn't clean up their yard, the, the person that gets on your nerves is also an image bearer. And that goes... Regardless of religion, regardless of how much you like them, regardless of how they vote, regardless of age or gender or race or any of that, they're made in the image of God. So at least give them the dignity of being made in God's image. You actually don't give them dignity. They have dignity. 
you acknowledge their dignity. Okay, let me continue because I want to just talk about how this affects our spiritual growth. Colossians 1 says this, Jesus is the image of the invisible God. 2 Corinthians 4 says this, Jesus is the image of God. That image that Adam and Eve and you and me screwed up, Jesus fixed. Jesus perfectly displayed the image of God. Jesus is God in the flesh. He is God in human form. He was not damaged or stained by sin. He's a return to the original. He is a second Adam for us to compare to. I don't know about you, but when I compare myself to Jesus, I'm usually humbled. I have not found that he and I are on the same level. He is about a thousand levels higher. And that's speaking mildly. Our spiritual growth takes place when we are transformed to resemble Jesus more. This is what uh, Romans chapter 8, verse 29 says. In fact, I'm going to back up and read 28 also because you'll probably be familiar with this. And we know that God causes all things to work together for good to those who love God, to those who are called according to his purpose. Oh, that's nice. Put that on a bumper sticker. God's going to work everything out for your favor, for your good, according to his purpose. What's his purpose? Surely it's to prosper me financially. Well, here's what verse 29 says. For those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to become conformed to the image of his son so that he, Jesus, would be the firstborn among many, among many brothers and sisters. This is God's purpose for you, to make you more like Jesus. It actually says you were predestined. You want to know your destiny? To become more like Jesus. And he, he chose that for you. You don't choose it. He chose it for you. You are predestined to become more like Jesus. That's your destiny, is to become more like Jesus. And the circumstances of your life that he orders and allows are leading you toward that. So the bad day you had yesterday is to make you more like Jesus. Or the great day you had yesterday was to make you more like Jesus. Whatever happens after you leave this building today, whether it goes poorly or goes great, just know Jesus is weaving it all together to make you more like him. I've found that when I acknowledge that, it alleviates a great deal of stress. Okay, I don't like what's happening now, Jesus, but I know that you're doing this, so I become more like you. I might as well just roll with that then. Not only are there circumstances that God uses to do that, there are also disciplines that we participate in that make us more like Jesus. Spiritual disciplines reading your Bible, praying, fasting, worshiping, being part of a small group, serving, solitude, journaling, whatever it is that you participate in, those disciplines are there to make you more like Jesus. And if you're reading your Bible and giving and serving and you're not becoming more like Jesus, I can almost guarantee then you're becoming more like a Pharisee because you're probably very proud of these things that you're doing. It's very dangerous to be in a place where you can open the Bible and your heart is so hard it doesn't get changed. Spend time with people and your heart is so hard that it doesn't get changed. Be in the presence of worshipers and your heart is so hard that it doesn't get changed. You should be terrified when that happens. And, and really the, the response to that is repentance. God, soften my heart. 
So we are conformed or transformed to the image of Jesus. Colossians 3.10 says that we are renewed as we learn to know our creator and become like him. So learning to know God, and I'm talking about experiential knowledge, not just some facts, but learning to know our creator makes us more like him. This is like, you know, you can learn about someone by looking at their driver's license. You might be able to look, see their face, know their height, things like that, but we're, we're talking about meeting them, not accumulating facts about them. As we know God, we become like God. Second Corinthians 3 says, the Lord who is the Spirit makes us more and more like him as we are changed in his glorious image. First John chapter 3, verse 2 says, we know that when Jesus appears, we will become like him because we will see him just as he is. So this is my expectation based on that verse. There's going to come a day where Jesus is going to split the sky. And as much as you think you know about Jesus, you will actually, it says, you will see him as he truly is. And just by laying your eyes upon that, you'll be changed. Because you are transformed by beholding God, by what you see. What you put your eyes on, you eventually become. So we're all kind of, is the Bible gives us a perfectly accurate picture of Jesus, but we don't have a perfectly accurate understanding. It's kind of this looking through scratched glasses. You know, it's like I, I see through a glass dimly. I'm setting my eyes on Jesus, but I don't have a perfect understanding of Jesus because of my own sin. But what I see about Jesus, I'm transforming into what I see. I'm becoming what I behold. I think William Yates said that in a poem somewhere. We become what we behold. As we set our eyes on Jesus, let me just read this passage again. 1 John 3, 2. We know that when he appears, we will become like him because we will see him just as he is. I'm going to use a Philly terminology here. The more better that you see Jesus, the more you will become like him. More better is a Philly thing. Let me summarize this, and then I want to give some application. Here's what I want us to remember. Every person is created in God's image. Every person. Doesn't matter what you think of them. Every person is created in God's image. Every person has been damaged by sin, other than Jesus, of course. And Christians are being restored by becoming like Christ. So I actually preached this very passage in this very concept 13 months ago. I was tempted to just preach the same sermon and see if anyone noticed, but I didn't because i got to stay busy. Thirteen months ago, I explained 14 places where this matters. Today, I'm just going to keep it to four. Here's why the idea that everyone is created in the image of God matters. First, it matters in how we think about race and ethnicity. If we believe, as the Bible teaches, that every human being is created in the image of God, then we cannot then also believe that some races and ethnicities are superior to one and others are inferior to others. You can't have a one and two, top and bottom. Does that make sense? If, if we really believe that everyone's created in the image of God, then we say, well, then everyone's equal. 
There's no superiority. There's no inferiority. Okay? So it affects the way that we think about race. It also thinks, uh, affects the way that we think about gender in two very distinct ways. Number one, it says in, first, uh, in Genesis 127, male and female, he created them. This is why so many Christians feel so strongly that it's clearly taught in the Bible there are two genders, male and female, because those are the only ones mentioned here, and that gender is something that is static, not dynamic, meaning it does not change. Gen gender doesn't change any more than race or age or other physical characteristics that don't change. So many Christians, myself included, feel strongly that this is clearly taught in the Bible, that there are two genders, and that there's even, a, if you have a biblical worldview, you would say that any deviations from that are called sin. Further, this idea is important because it helps us understand that genders are equal. Men and women are equal. Men are not superior to women, and women are not inferior to men. They are equal. They are both created in the image of God, equally. Equally created in the image of God. So there, does that make sense? So I just want to, this matters because as basic as this sounds, not everyone does get this. Not everyone does get this. Um, people don't understand how this applies to race. People don't understand how this applies to relationships between men and women. This also relates to our view of what is called the sanctity of life. So this was not planned other than maybe by the Lord, but today actually is Sanctity of Life Sunday. Sanctity of Life Sunday is a day for the church to recognize exactly this, that human beings are created in the image of God and that life is sacred. It's not just a bunch of molecules becoming conscious for a, a period of time and then we die and turn into dirt, but that life is actually a sacred thing. Sanctity of Life Sunday is a really big opportunity for those who uh, would oppose abortion to proclaim their message, and, and I am one of those who oppose abortion. And it has become kind of a pro-life day, and I think that that is an appropriate use of the day. But what I, what I want to add to that is it should go beyond simply forcing people to have children, but also caring for people once they're born. So on our community engagement boards, which are over to my left, you can actually check out the, the one on the far side, the top half, is dedicated to Sanctity of Life Sunday. And there's a quote from a pastor in Texas named Tony Evans who says that sanctity of, the sanctity of life should apply from the womb to the tomb. Yes, we should champion life. We should encourage people to carry out pregnancies to, to the birth, and then once the baby is born, we don't just, well, you're on your own now, baby. But we should do our best as a society to care for them, and not just the, the babies, but the mothers and the fathers, everybody. Whatever we can do to facilitate a culture of life, we should be doing. Does that make sense? So um, I'll give an example. I've had the opportunity 
in my life to be on ministry teams in places like northern Mexico, Uganda, Cuba, Ecuador, Jordan, and parts of Europe. And I've seen a wide swath of quality of life. There is a story that has burned into my brain that I will never forget. It's of a woman who lived in the poorest city in her country, and she asked for us to visit her. And so we went and visited her, and she was in poor health and could not leave. She lived on the second floor of a, of a home. She could not leave her home. The way that she survived was that she would lower a bucket out of her window. She would put money in the bucket. Her neighbors would take the money and go to the market and buy her groceries, put the groceries in the bucket. She would bring it back up. When we went to visit, this sounds like a story straight out of the Bible to me. We went to visit her. And she lowered her bucket out of the window with her house keys in it. We had to take her keys, unlock her door, go upstairs to visit her. She does not have the ability to go up and down stairs. She had not left her little one-room home in years. Here's what I want you to know. That story did not take place in Mexico, Uganda, Cuba, Jordan. It took place on the other side of Torresdale Avenue right here in Philadelphia, that this is, an, this is a sanctity of life issue, that people in the poorest city in our nation, which is Philadelphia, are forced to live like that. So that is also sanctity of life. That is also a she's made in the image of God. We should recognize her dignity. It, that is also a sanctity of life issue. Does that make sense? You know, it's not like just, well, you were born, you're on your own. But no, we want to recognize people's dignity from the womb to the tomb, using the phrase that Tony Evans uses, and honor them. Does that make sense? Okay. Pastor John Eric, would you come up and lead us in closing? As he's making his way up, John Eric and Shira Morris in a board meeting a couple years ago, one of them said this, maybe they both said it, introduced a phrase about the image of God, and it is that we should recognize the image of God in everyone and appreciate the differences. That we're all made in the image of God, yet we reflect different aspects of God. So as long as we're within the teaching of Scripture, I'm not talking about going outside of the teaching of Scripture or lifestyles that go outside of the teaching of Scripture, but I'm saying that within the teaching of Scripture, appreciating the differences, that different people, and I'm speaking about individuals here, not groups, different people reflect different aspects of God and that we should appreciate those differences um, as we see those. So Pastor John Eric's going to wrap us up. Amen. So in times like this, as we're studying the image of God, uh, I think it is right for us to respond to the Lord in uh, whatever way he's drawing us to respond to the Lord. In him. Um, I'm drawn to 2 Corinthians 5 where Paul says that we have the ministry of reconciliation. And part of that ministry is, one, Jesus does, does the work of reconciling man to God through his blood, through his sacrifice. He reconciles us to himself. And as we learn today that in reconciling us to God by the blood of Jesus, is we are being restored in the image of, of Christ. 
And in a sense, what the Lord is doing is he's like, I haven't abandoned my original intention for you. I haven't given that up. What I put in you is valuable. What I put in you is, uh, is worth pursuing. God, and so earlier in worship, we already heard it. I felt like the phrase, he's coming after you. <laughs> he's coming after you. He's the lover of your souls. He's a lover of your souls. And I just want to drive that home uh, to you. He's a lover of your soul. He's coming after you. He thinks that you are, uh, you are as valuable as he made you to be in, in the first place. Whether you feel it or not, he's coming after you, and he's a lover of your soul. Amen? So part of the ministry of reconciliation that we have is to bring others to Jesus, right? Um, and also, part of that reconciliation is the restoration of his image inside of us. When we know who we are, when we know our destiny, when we know what our purpose is, and uh, it really makes life more, more satisfying and, and worth living, right? More satisfying worth more, and worth living. And so I just want to encourage us to respond to the Lord. There's two things when it comes to the image of God in us. There are the, one, we have an external enemy who wants to continue to, to lead you in the distortion of the image of God. He doesn't want you to find out who you are because who you are is a threat to him. The enemy is threatened by you and I coming into our true identity in Christ. He's threatened by it because if he, if he has you in his grips, then the, you're a pawn in his hands. But the moment that you realize you're greater than he is because of who is inside of you and because how God made you, then he recognizes that's a threat to his kingdom and his plans. So he rec when he reconciles us, he restores his image in us. And so part of it, of the ministry of reconciliation, I would go on to say is that we, we then get to bring others to Jesus so they can have that restoration but that is not easy to do if you have a better than attitude. If you have superior, a superiority complex. In any moment where you feel, I'm better than this person, that is a call. The, the Spirit of God inside of you will call you to repentance. And so I feel like that's one of the responses. You can't be a minister of reconciliation if you're better than people. And you can't become uh, a minister of reconciliation if you have no idea who you are, right? So Jesus said to his disciples, the harvest is plentiful. And he was sending his disciples to the harvest. And in the harvest, the harvest is amongst the harassed and the, the ones who are distressed, right? So the enemy, here's my point. The enemy will distress you. He will harass you to keep you from understanding that you are made in the image of God. And so in whatever ways that you feel less than, that is a call for you to receive healing and restoration from the Lord. In any ways that you're feeling harassed and, and, and uh, put down, that's a call for you to say, Lord, you're greater. You call me... You're, you called me to greater things than this, than what I'm feeling. So two things, repent, 
Repent if you feel better than others, because you can't be part of the ministry of reconciliation if you do that. And secondly, come to the Lord and receive his healing and restoration and receive his salvation and his freedom so that you can come to understand who you really are and who he made you to be. So I'm not going to call anyone up. I'm going to call you to, to engage with the Lord in your seats and in those two ways. If you feel beaten, harassed, call upon the Lord. Anyone who calls upon the name of the Lord will be saved. Amen? And salvation is also healing. Anyone who calls upon the name of the Lord will be healed, right? Um, and then secondly, if you feel better then, if you have a superiority complex, then bring that to the Lord and, and ask forgiveness and repent of that. So I'll let you uh, sit with those two responses and then I'll lead us in, in a prayer as we end our time together. I feel the Lord saying that when you don't know who made you and that you belong and that you have great purpose, you are susceptible to being helpless and harassed. So we know him as our creator and we know that God has set you as the apple of his eye. And he says to you, you are precious in my sight. And I'm reminded of the words of Paul when he says, he died for all, that those who live should no longer live for themselves but for him. So you were created by God. He pursues you and brings you to belong. And in belonging, he says, you no longer live for yourself but for me. So if that's you, if you, if you feel like a, a new sense, you need a new sense of belonging, this is my prayer for you, Holy Spirit. Testify, bear witness that these are sons and daughters of God. Bear witness of the spirit of adoption that they belong. Bear witness, we started our time in Psalm 100. Shout for joy to the Lord out of the earth. Worship the Lord with gladness. Come before him with joyful songs and know that the Lord is God. It is he who made you and we are his. He made you and you are his. You are his people, the sheep of his pasture. So receive that today. Lord, we recognize that we are yours. You made us and we are yours. You made us and we're made in your image. It means that we have the possibility to have the mind and the heart and the attitudes that you have. And so we want that, Lord Jesus. As ones who are called to be ministers of reconciliation, we want your heart, we want your mind, and we want your attitudes. We want your actions also. And so we want to declare this together. Let's make this declaration over our minds, our hearts, and our actions. You ready? Say, by your Spirit, restore to me the mind of Christ. So let's declare. I declare that I have the mind of Christ. Let's make this prayer. Holy Spirit, give me the heart of Christ. Let's make a declaration. 
In the name of Jesus, I declare I have the heart of Christ. Let's make this prayer. Holy Spirit, empower the attitudes and actions of Jesus. Let's make this declaration. By the Spirit, I have the ability to perform the actions of Christ. And to show forth the attitudes of Jesus. In Jesus' name. Amen.